be able to operate ride sharing in Metro Vancouver. Another major ride-hailing company signs up for service in B.C. when Uber plans to hit the road. New evidence in the Andrew Berry murder trial. The images that might poke holes in his defense. And scammers take advantage of the TELUS meltdown. Right away, I was certain I was talking to a TELUS employee. How she finally realized it was a fraud. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. First it was Lyft, now Uber says it's ready to launch in Metro Vancouver. The ride-hailing company confirms it will apply for licenses despite some criticisms. Richard Zussman has more on what those are and why, even though this has been a long time coming, no one is completely happy. For those looking forward to ride-sharing in BC, it's an Uber-sized Christmas present. We're on a path to be able to operate ride-sharing in Metro Vancouver, hopefully before the holiday season. The world's largest ride-sharing company announcing plans for the greater Vancouver area only. That means the rest of the province is out of luck. The regulations as they've been put forward are very prohibitive to enabling operations for ride-sharing operations in smaller communities. The regulation Uber is concerned about is the requirement that all ride-sharing drivers must have a commercial class for license. And taxi companies aren't happy that while they are required to operate everywhere in British Columbia, ride-sharing companies like Uber can pick and choose. They're only going to operate in Vancouver where it's profitable. They're only going to gouge. Vancouver Taxi Association head Carolyn Bauer is furious with the province over the new rules. Her main concerns, no caps on ride-sharing vehicles and no requirement for companies like Uber to have accessible vehicles. So here we have unlimited numbers and no accessible vehicles for the people that are disabled and need these vehicles to move around in. Lyft is also planning on coming to British Columbia. The BC Liberals quick to point out it's time for the taxi industry to keep up. It has to modernize. There is going to be disruption. Nobody feels sorry for the travel agent that has to deal with Expedia and Travelocity. Nobody feels sorry for the bank teller that has to deal with internet banking. Nobody feels sorry for the newspaper columnist who's lost their job. But the rule changes aren't just about the cabs and Ubers on the road. It could have an impact on everyone. I'm very concerned that the number of vehicles on the street will lead to a lot of congestion. We look at other jurisdictions and we've seen that congestion has increased uh, if there's been no uh, limit on supply. That's why we're disappointed in the passenger transportation board. The bumpy road to get ride-sharing in British Columbia looking like it will still have to navigate some potholes. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the potential political fallout from this. Keith, is NDP support south of the Fraser really at risk? Well, you know, there's a long-held theory, Chris, that the taxi industry in Metro Vancouver has sort of this disproportionate amount of political power, which may explain why both the B.C. Liberals and the NDP took so long to get to this point of introducing ride-hailing. But again, it's an untested theory. But if the taxi industry does get its act together and wants to go after the NDP, the party could be vulnerable in a number of closely fought ridings in 2017. Take a look at the list here. Uh, Vancouver Phrase Review leads the list in terms of uh, the narrowest victory in uh, 2017, followed by a 
number of suburban ridings. Delta North, for example, uh, where there's a strong taxi lobby. Burnaby North, as well as a couple of Surrey ridings as well. All ridings won by less than 2,300 votes. Now, having said that, uh, who would the taxi industry support, considering the Greens and the Liberals now both support ride-hailing as well? And as for those threat and recall campaigns, don't even try it. They just don't work in this province. That's right. Okay. Thanks very much, Keith. A nasty surprise for travelers who were expecting to fly from Kelowna to Winnipeg on Swoop Airlines this week. Their flight suddenly canceled, but when it came to rebooking, they were told they, were told they would have to wait more than a week. Aaron MacArthur now on what happened and what you should know as a potential passenger. It's unbelievable to me that they can just kind of abandon. Michelle Vanderlip should have left Kelowna Monday booked on Swoop Airlines to Winnipeg, her airplane never pushed back from the gate. She says the first hint of a problem was when staff stopped boarding halfway through. A maintenance issue turned into an hour and a half delay and then an outright cancellation. And no one from the company could tell her what was happening next. Pretty stressful when it seems like they put it on us to find a way home. Thousands of people were left stranded across the country. The airline offering to rebook passengers out, in some cases more than a week later. Finally talked to someone and basically was told to put up the money myself. Welcome to Swoop. Passenger rights advocates say Swoop has violated its own terms of service. And the airline owes these people a ride home. What Swoop is doing in this case is clearly wrong. It's an egregious wrong. It's not simply a mistake. It's a complete disregard of the passenger's rights. Swoop taking a beating online. Disgruntled passengers bombarding Twitter with stories of terrible customer service. Travel experts say small airlines like Swoop simply don't have enough resources to rebook everyone right away. Many people wondering... Why in this case, Swoop's parent company, WestJet, wouldn't have stepped up to help its customers. My advice is deal with it as quickly as possible by getting yourself rebooked on a flight. Fight with your credit card company. Ask for services not rendered. Swoop would not do an on-camera interview, but did respond with a statement saying that impacted travelers would be reimbursed for additional costs. For passengers burned by this experience, there are serious doubts about whether they would ever book another flight with Swoop again. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Andrew Barry, the Oak Bay father accused of killing his two young daughters, was back under intense cross-examination today. Crown is challenging Barry on a conversation he had with his sister, an RCMP officer, while he was in hospital after the alleged attack. Romina Dea was in court and joins us with the details, some of which we warn you are graphic. And Romina, we're getting our first look at some of the evidence taken from inside Barry's apartment. Mm -hmm. Chris, uh, it's the first time that this evidence has been released to the public. And the new video and pictures you're about to see really tell the story of the hours leading up to Christmas morning 2017 and the horror that unfolded that day. Andrew Barry found naked in his bathtub suffering from 16 stab wounds. The jury will ultimately decide whether Barry inflicted these injuries on himself or someone else attacked him and killed his daughters, four-year-old Aubrey and six-year-old Chloe. 
Christmas Eve. It was the last time the girls were seen alive in public. They were with their dad running around playing at the rec center. The girls were excited for Christmas Day. They left notes for Santa, a bowl of bunny crackers and a toothbrush so Santa could clean his teeth after. Crown's theory, Barry killed his daughters around 8 a.m. December 25th because he was in severe debt. He despised his ex and his parents and he was on the brink of losing custody. Barry testified repeatedly he didn't do it. He said he went tobogganing with Chloe and Aubrey twice Christmas Day. Their pink snow toys seen on the left. Barry said they entered his apartment after 3.30 when they were violently attacked, presumably because he owed $25,000 in gambling debt to a loan shark. Crown suggesting Barry's story is a lie. Patrick Weir repeatedly questioning Barry why. Why didn't he tell anyone, even his sister, the only person on his side, that he didn't do it? Crown, you're laying there accused of literally the worst thing a father could be accused of and then tried to commit suicide and you're not trying to convey to your sister it wasn't me? Barry, I can't talk, okay? Remember that I can't talk and I'm just writing. I don't know how to answer that. Now, Barry told the jury that he didn't think his sister was on his side. She's an RCMP officer. He said she was asking questions like a cop, not a loving sister. Day five of cross-examination continues Thursday. Back to you. Amazing stuff. Okay, thanks, Romina. More questions than answers tonight about a Delta police officer we told you about on last night's news hour. Inspector Varun Naidu was fired for engaging in inappropriate sexual communications with a would-be new recruit. But as Grace Key reports, somehow that didn't stop him from then being hired in a government position where he would have access to the personal information of vulnerable women and children. We're just in front of the Burnaby offices of the BC Family Maintenance Enforcement Program. This falls under the Attorney General's office and it assists with child and spousal support collections for families. So yesterday, a series of emails were sent out to employees there. Now it states that an enforcement manager has been hired, will be starting September 3rd, and that is Varun Naidu. Now a couple of employees apparently uh, took to Google, just curious who this person was, and found a series of articles regarding sexual misconduct allegations. That was brought to the attention of managers. So later on in the day, a second email was sent out saying new information came to light, which is now being looked into by our HR department. And later on that day, a third email saying the EM candidate will not be commencing work with our organization. Now, we reached out to the Attorney General's office. This program is delivered by Themis. It's a private company under contract who's responsible for hiring. Potential staff are subject to reference and security checks. In this case, the ministry was assured that Themis took immediate and appropriate action when the Delta Police Department issued the results of their investigation. But certainly a lot of unanswered questions today. Exactly how this person was supposed to have a start date for next week when we're told that background checks are done. And of course, it took a simple Google check to find out more details about this information and whether or not there was a contract that was signed and what had to be done to get out of that potential contract. We reached out to the Attorney General's office uh, for these questions, and we have not heard back yet. In Burnaby, Grace Key, Global News. 
Well, it reads like a script from a Hollywood action movie, a helicopter chase and the seizure of illegal guns and millions of dollars in illicit drugs. But it was very real for RCMP in the B.C. interior. Shelby Tom explains how it all unfolded. In these court documents filed by police in support of search warrant applications, details are revealed of an alleged international drug smuggling operation, a dramatic aerial police pursuit, and the discovery of a cache of illegal weapons. In June, authorities were alerted about a planned cross-border drug deal near Winthrop, Washington. U.S. officials staked out a landing site where they believed the drugs would be transferred to Canadian buyers. This black, unmarked helicopter is alleged to have circled the landing zone before something spooked the pilot. It fled north into Canadian airspace. An RCMP plane spotted the helicopter on a remote mountainside near Princeton, and the chase was on. As police aircraft followed, the helicopter took many evasive maneuvers in an attempt to lose the RCMP aircraft, according to the court documents. The helicopter flew at very low altitudes near the tops of the trees and up narrow draws. It repeatedly changed direction and made rapid sense towards the mountains. The chopper eventually landed near Chilliwack. Police say a search of that property, which is owned by the pilot, turned up more than 70 long guns, 35 handguns, U.S. government helicopter decals, drones, and cash. Meanwhile, back at the landing site, the local sheriff department involved in retrieving suitcases full of methamphetamine abandoned in the forest. U.S. officials say 272 kilograms of narcotics in total were intercepted, with the street value in the millions of dollars. Two men were arrested nearby. The pilot was also arrested and released. His lawyer telling us his client has not been formally charged on either side of the border. The RCMP declined to comment, passing us on to Homeland Security. A spokesperson there says authorities disrupted a potentially large and sophisticated smuggling operation. But it can't comment further, given the ongoing police investigation. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. For the first time ever, a look inside the sunken HMS Terror. Artifacts from the doomed Franklin expedition frozen in time coming up. And behold the future of space travel. How Elon Musk's adventure to Mars reaches a major milestone with the Starhopper test flight coming up on the News Hour. Right now, though, the slowdown in Greater Vancouver's housing market is hitting condo prices hard. A new report shows price per square foot has fallen more than any other major market in the country. Sarah McDonald breaks down the numbers and tells us why, despite it being a buyer's market, many aren't biting. It's never been cheap to buy one of these in one of the most desirable housing markets in the world. And it still isn't, even as the condominium market in this province plummets amid a simultaneous surge nationwide. Vancouver is always going to be expensive. We have been and we are going through, uh, you know, a significant correction in the housing market here. But, uh, you know, despite that, like, you know, prices, are, of course, are still expensive. New numbers from Royal LePage are shedding light on the state of the country's condo landscape. With the cost per square foot of attached units in every major city now outpacing that of detached homes. With one major exception, the city of Vancouver. There's a distinct East Coast story. There's a distinct West Coast story. 
Um, and, uh, you know, Vancouver generally been the leader in the market. And I think Vancouver is just taking a bit of a breather right now. Although those prices are cooling, they are still the hottest in the country. The cost of a condo in the greater Vancouver area running at just over $760 per square foot and more than 8% decrease year over year. But that is still pricier than in the greater Toronto area, even after a more than 9% boost in prices by the same metric. And then in Ottawa, the nation's capital, we've seen growth at 17.9%. The foreign buyer tax, um, it really um, forced uh, those foreign buyers who were subject to that tax to look for, you know, greener pastures. And that's impacted supply in this region amid fears of oversaturation. Some developers putting the brakes on new builds completely. Pre-sales just aren't happening. The requirements they have for financing to build their projects are based on pre-sales. And I've heard pre-sales are down by as much as 85 to 90 percent. Part of the reason prospective buyers are increasingly looking outside of Vancouver proper. A market that's fluid and fluctuating, yet still leading the nation when it comes to cost. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Vancouver. Meantime, there is praise tonight for the efforts of several members of the Vancouver Park Board for listening to the concerns of residents in Vancouver's Tent City. Park Board Commissioners taking the time to walk around Oppenheimer Park and meet with those who are camping there. The goal to find out directly from residents their concerns and get their perspective on what the Tent City provides for them. The hope is it will create a better understanding of how to address homelessness. So I'm always hopeful that we can um, get back to a place where we start looking after people a lot better than, than we have over the last 20 years, frankly. Having somebody willing to at least engage with us is creating a pathway. So I really want to honor you for that. The fact that they've come to the table and been so open today is a hopeful beginning for me. Well, the city says about 127 people from the park have accepted housing offers following an order last week requesting that tents and other structures be removed. However, those still in the park say more tents have popped up since then. Vancouver police are warning seniors to be wary of a friendly and persuasive con man. Investigators say the man's been sweet-talking his way into homes throughout the city, making off with cash and valuables. The most recent incident yesterday near Nanaimo Street in the city's Grandview Woodland area. The suspect is described as well-groomed, Caucasian, in his 40s, about 5 feet 11 inches tall with brown hair. Smooth-talking man who approaches senior citizens with some kind of a story. It could be uh, canvassing for charity or a request to use a phone, possibly saying he's been locked out of his house. He uses that to talk his way into the house and once inside the house, waits for the, uh, the person to be uh, distracted and then uh, steals an item. Scammers, don't you hate them? But wait, there's more. <laughs> TELUS has restored email service for most of its customers, but scam artists are still hard at work trying to take advantage. Our Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has a warning from one TELUS customer who almost fell victim. And what's this about? Mm -hmm. Well, this always happens when there's a big event like this outage. Thanks, mm -hmm. Sophie. TELUS customers who were impacted by that major outage were notified through email about compensation for the inconvenience. But fraudsters are taking advantage of that and preying on consumer fears. That's what happened to an Abbotsford woman who reached out to us. Here's what she told us. Bev Evans received 
received a call recently from a fraudster impersonating a TELUS employee. The scam artist tried to lure Bev by referring to a recent email that was sent to TELUS customers regarding the major outage. Well, it turns out Bev had in fact received that type of email from the telecommunications company. At this point, she says she was certain she was talking to a legitimate TELUS representative. The fraudster then wanted access to her computer and wanted to send her money and have those funds e-transferred by her to someone else. That's when she grew suspicious and asked the fraudster to stay on the line while she contacted TELUS directly to verify. So I got out of it just in time. I never would have sent money or done anything with money, but someone else might. And if they're thinking they're talking to TELUS, you know, but TELUS would never do that. They would never ask for money and they also wouldn't go on your computer. Just be really aware if anybody says that they are calling from TELUS or any other company and you're not sure of what they're asking you to do, then phone them right away and or just hang up. So thankfully, Bev did the right thing. Now, the Better Business Bureau also recommends carefully reading all correspondence from businesses and organizations following a major event to get updates on the situation, as well as to confirm how they will be contacting you in the future. Also, beware of unusual requests like gaining remote access to your device and sharing both financial and personal information. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters.globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Well, a stellar stretch of weather right now. It is perfect timing to enjoy the PNE. That's right. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is at the fair tonight with more on one of the great attractions, maybe the greatest attraction, especially for car buffs down at the PNE. Christy. Uh that's right. I knew you would love this one, Chris. You're exactly right. We're checking out a ton of very cool old cars that have all been refabricated by 360 Fabrication. This is Rick Francoeur. He's the president and CEO. Uh, these are really amazing cars. 22 of them that people can see down here. All of them with special stories, but this one behind us in particular. Tell us about it. Yeah, we're super excited about this car. Uh, the customers waited 60 years to get his car. So after the show, he let us take it before uh, before the P&E, and so here we go. And uh, 60 years he's waited to drive that car next week. And it took, took them a year to uh, put it together. Amazing old car. Tell us what other cars you can see here. So there's pickup trucks, there's pro touring cars, uh, there's a few new ones. Uh, there is 22 in total and they are all beautiful cars. I know I wash them every day. Every morning I asked you. This one from 1929, you said, but they, they range a whole bunch of years. Yeah, there's, uh, they range up to 2004. So every kind of car you can imagine in between that. We're right by the main stage if you want to check it out. Lots of cars here. Chris, I'll throw it back to you. And Soph, I'll throw it back to you guys. Uh, but, uh, yes, a lot of fun down here. We'll talk about the weather, which is amazing. Thanks so much, Rick. Thank you. It's a dream Too for bad those he has guys to wash to those do. cars and we didn't have more rain. It's a, yeah, right? It's a good thing they're undercover down there, too. <laughs> All shined up. Looks good. Thanks, Chris. You can come wash my car, too. Right. It kind of looks like a flying R2-D2 from the next Star Wars movie, but in fact, it's a successful test flight for the prototype of Elon Musk's Mars rocket. The Starhopper rose 150 meters above the Texas coast. It moved horizontally, then made a soft landing. The successful test, especially good news for nearby residents who were warned to vacate their homes during the test because a malfunction could have created shock waves strong enough to shatter windows. 
The Starhopper will now be used to test Starship's Raptor engines. Pretty spectacular. Sure is. The UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is being accused of touching off the biggest constitutional crisis since King Edward VIII abdicated the throne. Johnson's decision to suspend Parliament ahead of a no-deal Brexit deadline of October 31st has sent the pound plummeting and sparked widespread condemnation. Global's Redmond Shannon has the latest. A day after opposition parties banded together to stop a no-deal Brexit, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has hit back. He's gotten permission from the Queen to suspend or prorogue Parliament for one month from mid-September. A short suspension is normal before a Queen's speech at the start of a new session of Parliament, but not one that's a month long. Johnson denied he's doing it to stop the opposition from blocking a no-deal Brexit on October 31st. That is uh, completely untrue. If you look at what we're doing, we're bringing forward a new legislative programme on crime, on hospitals, uh, making sure that we have the uh, education funding that we need. But the normally non-partisan Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burko, called the move a constitutional outrage, as have opposition leaders. Suspending Parliament is not acceptable, it's not on. What the Prime Minister is doing is a sort of smash and grab on our democracy in order to force through a no-deal exit from the European Union. There is also the possibility of a judicial review against Johnson's move, but time is running out. MPs return from summer break on Tuesday and then there is just a few days before the suspension kicks in. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. To the relief of Puerto Ricans, Hurricane Dorian has hit the region with only a glancing blow. Dorian caused widespread power outages in the U.S. and British Virgin Islands and two Puerto Rican islands, but there are no reports of serious damage. However, the storm is now gathering strength and threatening to grow into a Category 3 hurricane as it moves toward the U.S. It could land anywhere from South Florida to South Carolina on Sunday or Monday. Canadian TV star, businessman and one-time conservative leadership candidate Kevin O'Leary is in the news tonight after a boat he was on was involved in a fatal accident in Ontario. A Florida man and an Ontario woman were killed in the nighttime crash on Lake Joseph, just north of Toronto. Sources say O'Leary is the registered owner of the boat, but in a statement he says he was not driving and the other boat did not have navigation lights on. O'Leary says he's cooperating with the investigation. Police aren't commenting at this point. Some spectacular new video is giving us a better idea of the size of that rock slide into the Fraser River that's endangering salmon returns. The new drone footage gives us the closest look yet at the scale of the 125-meter rock face and how much rock fell into the river, especially when compared to the crew members working on the side of the cliff. The rock scaling continues in an effort to make conditions as safe as possible for the 180 workers who are trying to move salmon. The government says the effort to get migrating salmon upstream has already cost $6 million. 44,000 salmon have been airlifted over the slide site by helicopter and another 12,000, mostly Chinook, have managed to get past the slide area on their own. Crews are building a road to try to move the salmon past the blockade by truck. In Health Matters tonight, UBC President Santa Ono is sharing his struggle with mental illness 
at a time when thousands of students will go through the same thing as they head back to school. Ono is very honest about the extent of his despair as a teenager. He agreed to sit down with Global News to talk about what turned his life around and what his university is doing to help its own students. Starting university, an exciting time for students, but for many, the transition is also a real struggle. Hello. A struggle UBC President Santa Ono knows only too well. I was struggling. I was treading water and uh, going underwater every now and then with that metaphor. And uh, I wasn't doing very well uh, academically there. Um, I was feeling very lonely and inadequate. Coming from a successful family and in the middle of two brothers who were child prodigies, the pressure to do well started early. I tried to kill myself twice, once at the age of 14 and once in my late 20s. Santa sharing his painful journey at a TED talk in 2017. His reasons for being so open, because he wants to get rid of the stigma surrounding mental health, but also because of what he's seen on campus. I uh, have had to deal with uh, situations where students uh, at universities that I've led have uh, attempted suicide or, or successfully committed uh, suicide and to deal with their parents and with their classmates, it's a, it's a very difficult thing. So whatever I can do to try to mitigate that and to try to decrease the number of such attempts is something that I think is my responsibility. While precise numbers of on-campus suicides from school to school are hard to come by, a recent survey of young people across Canada gives us some insight into what's causing struggles with mental health today. 81% saying academic pressure is the number one factor. 54% stating social media. 50% saying it's a lack of time for self-care, with financial pressure and bullying also major causes. The challenge for universities, though, is keeping up with the demand for support. With more students now coming forward for help, pressure on already stretched resources is mounting. That is one of the reasons why we have made some pretty significant uh, changes to our, our service delivery model and also UBC has uh, added uh, significant funding over the last several years. An additional two and a half million dollars allowing the university to increase its support services and pilot a new idea where councillors are living in halls of residence and available 24-7. It's really really important because uh, many of these counselling services are open Monday through Friday until 5 um, and having lived this myself, some of my most difficult moments were at 2 a.m. The UBC president did eventually seek help and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. After receiving medication and psychotherapy, he's now symptom-free. And while he admits there's still a long way to go before every student receives the help they need, his message to anyone struggling with university life is clear. I've been there at the abyss and I'm still standing um, thanks to luck and to people who took care of me. Um, and so my, my message is uh, to, to reach out to others. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something that's very common and uh, they can even reach out to me if they'd like. Sonia Diol, Global News. Uh, well, the exhilaration of, of seeing this space so intact fascinating and eerie video released by Parks Canada for the first time from inside one of the two ships in the doomed Franklin expedition. The video shows the 170-year-old wreck of HMS Terror, almost perfectly preserved 
and frozen in time. Cabin doors open, plates and bottles intact, guns still mounted on the wall. Back in 1845, the two ships, Terror and Erebus, were stuck in the ice for two years while trying to find the Northwest Passage before their crews abandoned the ships and then died trying to get to safety. Divers plan to return to the wreck next year in the hopes they will find something that will solve some of the mystery of what happened to the doomed expedition. Of particular interest, the work desk inside the captain's quarters, its drawers still closed and sealed, making it likely that future dives could recover important documents about the mission. We may go from a situation where we know just these broad strokes to knowing in minute detail, maybe day by day, why the crews got sick, how the ships got stuck, were the ships abandoned and then remanned. It, it, the answers may just be in those drawers. Incredible. Coming up, an idea so bright you got to wear shades. The unusual material in a new line of sunglasses and how it gives a jolt to the recycling business right after the forecast. Coming I feel like up. that's a hint. A little bit. A little clue. Just a little bit. All right, meteorologist uh, Christy Gordon is at the PNE as we saw a little bit earlier with some classic cars and enjoying the last days of the fair. Christy? That's exactly right. So if it's so nice to be in the shade here, right in front of this 56 Thunderbird here, a gorgeous car. But Chris, you noted earlier that there is, uh, you know, a cover over some of the cars, but not all of them. So they've had to wash them each day with it being sunny just to keep them nice and clean and shiny. Uh, today is a scorcher. So that's why I am so glad being in the shade here. 27 degrees with the Humidex level uh, in Metro Vancouver, out towards Hope though, 34. And that's what they're feeling in the interior region also. So a uh, hot one today, but a great day for the White Rock Pier to be open. Yes, you can see that one little chunk there that has been fixed up, but lots of people out there enjoying the pier today. Thanks to Robert for that great shot. Now here's your PE forecast for tomorrow. We're in for a change tomorrow, everyone. It's still going to be hot, 24 to 28 degrees across Metro Vancouver, but certainly more cloud cover by the end of the day. And we have a very slight chance of showers. It's more so Friday morning that we have that chance. Uh, so not a lot of moisture expected except for everyone your long weekend yes we've got a pulse of moisture that is going to move into the south coast Saturday and Sunday bringing in a chance of showers if you have any camping plans make sure you have a tarp ready and in my opinion it's not might be perfect weather to help slow things down get the kids back ready into uh, school mode but in the meantime there's your Thursday everyone lots of sunshine we'll see that in the interior region as well Friday you'll start to see a bit of a change with more cloud but the south coast will see the change tomorrow with increasing cloud we'll see more cloud over the next few days. Your long weekend looks like it'll finish off with some sunshine on Monday, but a little unsettled over the next couple of days, but not a lot of rainfall necessarily. Just a bit more cloud and cooler conditions, which is still pretty nice weather to be able to get outside and of course enjoy things here at the Peony. Back to you guys. All right. Thanks, Christy. Hope they give her the keys for that car. It's pretty amazing. All right. An innovative company in Ukraine has come up with a stylish new line of sunglasses made from an unusual but plentiful raw material. The Ochis Coffee Company is making the glasses out of used coffee grounds. Its CEO experimented with some 300 samples before finding the right blend of coffee waste, flax, and vegetable oil. If discarded, of course, those frames would decompose. It takes about 10 years. And yes, they do actually smell like coffee as well. They sell for about $100 Canadian. Stylish and green.
And cool. if you get thirsty, you can just drop them in some hot water and yeah. bingo. That's right, bingo, you got a coffee. You got some good drinking. Squire's back. I am. Hey, uh, Whitecaps, they're playing. And if the Whitecaps season was a television show, it would have already been canceled and replaced with old Love Connection reruns. After, yeah, well, some of them were kind of good, actually. Back in two and two. Uh, after getting shaken up in San Jose, Vancouver's in Montreal. It's raining in Montreal. Facing an impact team who, unlike the Whitecaps, can still make the playoffs if they have a good finish. Mark DeSantos used to coach in Montreal. And there are some Whitecaps supporters who have made the trip. Well, this is a good start. Tosan Ricketts, Michael Chirino starting. He goes for this one, doesn't get it, but Jordy Reyna does. So Vancouver gets off to the 1-0 lead. And they had a chance to make it 2-0 because Chirinos was pulled down in the box. Penalty kick. Now Vancouver had a penalty kick. It was stopped. Ricketts put it in, but they said he was offside. So they had a second penalty kick. And again, Jordy Reyna is stopped. So it remains 1-0. Other end. Doesn't get the clearance right. Across, and Daniil Henry knocks it in his own net. So now it's 1-1. And two minutes later, Max Cerruti, who was the guy who put it across to cause the own goal, now scores this goal, and it's 2-1 Montreal in the second half. Vasek Pospisil will play his second-round match at the U.S. Open tomorrow against Tennis Sandgren. That's right, a tennis player named Tennis, T-E-N-N-Y-S. You'd never see a guy in the NHL named Hockey, but you do see a tennis player named Tennis. His first name is actually after a distant relative in Sweden. Anyway, the fact Pospisil is in the second round shows that he rehabbed rather nicely from that back surgery in January. I've been knocking on wood saying this, but I've been telling people that I actually had a, a little bit of an issue the last couple of days, so I was nervous coming, coming into the match, but it wasn't really back-related. It was uh, something with my hip and... Um, but, uh, but I was, yeah, I, I've been telling a few people, actually, this is the best that my back has felt since I had my injury in 2014. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see, obviously knocking on wood again, but, but, uh, definitely the best I've felt since 2013. How does Roger Federer feel today? 2018. Demir Zumer is his opponent. Actually, Zumer won the first set. Federer lost the first set in his first round match too, and then with that kind of backhand work, Roger begins to get it together. This is an ace right on the line, and Roger Federer is off to the third round for the 19th time in a row at the U.S. Open. All right, Andrew Luck wasn't the only 29-year-old NFL star to retire because of pain from injuries this year. Back in March, Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski did exactly the same thing. Unlike Luck, he has left the door open that he might unretire. The Patriots would love that. But if he does come back, he would only come back if he can mentally bring himself to face the prospect of dealing with that pain again. Yes, Patriot fans. I love all my fans. I love Patriot fans. And wherever I go, Patriot fans always ask, am I coming back when I'm coming back? Where am I coming back? I'm walking across the street and they're like, you're walking because you're coming back. <laughs> and I'm, it's crazy. I understand. I, I feel that love. But I want to be clear to my fans. I needed to recover. I was not in a good place. F football was t bringing me down. And I didn't like it. And I was losing that joy in life. Like, the joy. 
I'm sorry right now, but oh, <laughs> Danny, let me, oh, I really was, and I was fighting through it, and I knew what I signed up for, and I knew what I was fighting through, and I knew I just have to fix myself. There you go. Yeah, honest assessment yes. of his own pain, for sure. The PE is all about food, and when you're talking about food, you got to talk about Jimmy's lunch. Well, we talk about, um, and we have, about Hunky Bill's restaurant, yeah. which has been there for f- over 50 years. Jimmy's lunch is 90 years. They've employed a lot of people over the years, including NHL Hall of Famer Brett Hull. Wow. At one time, yes, he one time worked at Jimmy's lunch. Pick up. What's that? Two dogs playing again? With apologies to A&W, there is another burger family in BC, and it's been operating at the PE for 90 years, which is long enough to get down to the fourth generation. So, Jim, who, who is this? Who's this young man? This is Griffin and Julian. Those are my boys. Yeah, our boys. So my wife's back there somewhere too. Is anybody in this family allowed to say no? I don't want to work there. No, absolutely not. Jim, who's been working here for around 50 years, inherited the store from his father, Bob, who was Generation 2. It only operates during the P&E, and when he's not got his hands in onions... That's probably why I don't like onions to this day. Jim is a carpenter by trade, but he still loves the family business. It actually really is... Maybe not for them, but it's in my blood. It really is. I grew up down here. Jim and his family also grew up on the ski slopes. His dad, on the left of this picture, was a ski racing pioneer around these parts. He was a pioneer, and then he was chief of, chief of course on any big race that came to Whistler um, in the 70s, uh, World Cups. Because of that, Jim became a ski racer and coach, as well as his sons, Julian and Griffin. In fact, there are ski racers all over Jimmy's lunch. Uh, yeah, at least a dozen. A dozen ski racers yeah. work here. All from the lower mainland, Grouse, Seymour, Cypress, Whistler. Is that one or two dogs here? And because he literally grew up selling burgers and hot dogs at the PE, have you ever missed a PE? No. Never. Jim can't imagine not having Jimmy's lunch to go to. Well, now that we're at 90, I'd like to see 100. It would be nice. Be quite the milestone. Higher? Yeah. Now you heard him say there that Jim himself doesn't like onions. I, know, I heard that. I Amazing. Won't eat them. He's wrong about that. Well, <laughs> I'm not so sure. I would like to. I would like Jimmy's dinner right about now. <laughs> Is it time? Loaded up, big tray of all that good stuff. You could just go down that row because that's not far from Hunky Bills either, is it's it? It's across kinda... from Hunky Bills. Yeah, it's right kind there. of across from Hunky Bills. Just eat your way around the fair. Exactly. Thanks very much for watching. Now that we're all hungry and ready to race <laughs> home for dinner. Have a good evening, all. Good night.